This time on Whatever We Want, we talk about Star Wars Rebels. We watched Star Wars Rebels for the first time ever leading up to Kenobi. Spoilers major, huge big spoilers ahead for the entire show. Big, big spoilers. And a few other Star Wars properties. There are time codes down in the description if you'd like to jump around to different points in the episode. We talk everything from Dave Filoni's subtle influences to potential Kenobi tie-ins to overarching story arcs and everything in between. We are also joined by my old roommate, Matt, a true Star Wars aficionado. Thank you again for joining us, Matt. Hope you Peace. enjoy. Welcome back to Whatever You Want, where we review content across all mediums of media, <laughs> movies, TV shows, video games, and beyond, to give you the most interesting behind-the-scenes insights, storytelling techniques, all that jazz, and more. We cover everything from Disney, Marvel, Pixar, and more. Without further ado, let's jump right into the show. Boosh! Main segment, here we are with Matt, the person that probably knows more Star Wars than me, if there's anyone on this earth. I'm just kidding, there's a lot of people on this earth, but you're the person I know uh, the best. I'm not sure about that. No, definitely, Matt, you definitely do know more before we actually jump into things i was thinking maybe we should talk about how we we met because i feel like that gives some credibility to our star wars knowledge <laughs> i was about to say star wars is really what brought us together yeah do you want to elaborate like, yeah we went, both went to college we were roommates and stuff but so jake and i we met at a star wars club meeting at <laughs> penn state it wasn't as nerdy as that it was an it was an ice cream social so there was ice cream okay promised. it's an ice cream social <laughs> for star wars club like it wasn't it wasn't yeah. like it was some like really cool thing i thought it was cool ice cream and star wars what, could, what else could you <laughs> what want could be that? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah so then i just heard jake like talking to somebody else and like how he did cross country i was like oh i did cross country too and so i was like oh where are you from and he's like oh yeah this town that's five minutes away from me yeah matt I was like, literally Man. lives closer to my high school than i do but we didn't go to the same high school like because you went to the, the the catholic school i almost said catholic college the catholic school catholic college <laughs> was it the catholic college no. but also my college <laughs> You're going to two colleges at once. <laughs> uh, hey, I got to get that double degree. The DD, people say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, but yeah, just so everyone, our street cred doesn't go away, we then proceed to never go to like, we went to like one or two other meetings, but after that, we did not go to another Star Wars Club meeting. We got out of it what we wanted to. We met each other, became roommates for the next three years, and are here today to talk about Rebels, the show. Yeah. It all comes back full yes. circle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a really cool full circle moment, which there are a lot of themes about full circle and stuff in the show, which we'll talk about. But true, true. Yeah. So just a little backstory again. Daniel and I have like never watched the show when it came out. I think what happened was I saw like a tweet or something like a couple months ago. It was like, if you watch one episode of Rebels every day from now until when Kenobi comes out, like you will, it'll be exactly like one episode per day. And then you'll have the last episode right before Kenobi comes out. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. And then like, cause I was like, I've never seen it. And I'm sure there might be some tie-ins and stuff. And then I just kind of got sucked in and watched the whole thing. Really Binged quick. it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to kind of talk about our overall thoughts as like kind of first time viewers, at least Daniel and I, Matt, I believe you have seen it before. Yes, so I watched it in undergrad when I was procrastinating studying for finals, so. Nice. <laughs> All right, just, I just want to start out overall. What did you guys think just overall as a series? I thought that, like, when I first heard about the series, I thought that it was really stupid because, I mean, it first came out on, like, Disney XD, <laughs> so I was just like, oh, this is going to be some kid show. It's like, like yeah. I mean, The Clone Wars started on Cartoon Network, but again, the Clone Wars came out but when we were Clone kids. Wars. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so I thought that this would be like, oh, more pandering to that audience. Yeah, and for the so next generation. Like, yeah. Exactly. And so, I mean, eventually when I started watching it, I was, it did kind of start out that way. And I think that's what it yeah. needed to be just because you did have to get like kids onto it in order for it to be successful. 
Um, but then, then I think it did kind of gain like more of like attraction and like a cult following, especially as you progress to the later seasons. It really like, evolved. I feel yeah, like. they really oh, do. They do touch on like some more darker elements, but I think overall they just kind of increased the depth of a lot of the characters and they made it feel like this isn't just like a kid show like it's definitely just a kid show yeah exactly yeah daniel what do you think and also i think we should recount daniel's story of <laughs> when you watch this okay so i told the guys right before we started recording so i was Wait, let me let me, set, let me set the tone let me set the tone <sighs> we, we daniel and i both went on this journey together of like watching one episode of rebels a day until watching before kenobi and then like as uh-huh. we were progressing daniel and i daniel got like like really far ahead like after like a week he was like yeah, yeah i binged one. it like crazy and i was like what and i was like three episodes in so um i like caught up and then we were kind of like i was thinking oh it might be a cool episode for the podcast if we like kind of review our episode our thoughts on rebels like right before kenobi comes out and then i was like are you gonna be good for that and he was like oh yeah for sure like i'm on season two already like what <laughs> back in like february and then uh <laughs> i kept like reminding him i was like daniel daniel we got this coming up we just gotta make sure you finish watching this he was like yeah oh, i got it blah 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 and daniel right, tell tell us your side the story now. I was, okay so working late last night and i went was uh we did a live q a yesterday for my studio because i got my own studio i'm starting so i'm a busy guy you know and i forgot i needed to catch up on season four <laughs> so i stayed up to like eight last night your excuse i feel like a teacher you're like excuses like i was had a really busy like last night friday night well i've given you <laughs> two months to do the homework <laughs> i know but like and you're like sorry i had a busy, busy friday <laughs> <laughs> no, like, like, legitimately, I've been busy like every day. It's crazy how much more time's been going into the game and stuff. But uh, yeah, no, that's kind of you, you have a good point there. I kind of did slack on that a little bit. <laughs> okay, but in Daniel's defense, and in kind of you know to help him out a little bit, when have we ever done our assignments early? That's exactly. Like, yeah, but when your assignment is watching shit. Star Wars, like I thought that would be a little <laughs> different. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. Yeah, no, trust me, true. I use Star Wars to procrastinate my other assignments. Yeah, what do you? procrastinate with your assignments when star wars is your assignment you're just like i'm lost you just like implode <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah what were your overall thoughts now that you have seen the whole scene oh dude it was amazing like it i agree with matt a lot too where it was it started out more kiddie you know it was it wasn't attracting like a, a wider star wars audience right obviously but like you started to see changes at the end of season one like that early on which was good but then it really started to get into those darker tones like matt said as well really for the majority of the the entirety of the series so that was something that really had me that's like, when i started watching it started binging it that's what got me going seeing how things are starting to change and continue to see how things would grow also just seeing like how different characters stories continued whether it be like maul or soka yeah i do want to talk about all the characters like just more sort of like mandalore it was nice just seeing the expansion of, of all that and how it kind of like made sense how it lined up before the actual rebellion became the alliance and so on so I thought yeah. it was, it's like a prequel to the pre or the no prequel to the OG original rich Tridge. I was gonna say prequel to prequel, <laughs> no, no, that's not right. <laughs> I think um, just my overall thoughts. I, I again going into this, I think we all have the idea that like the perception that we grew up with Clone Wars, so that's such a high bar to yeah. compare it to. So like I feel like oh, yeah. if this had honestly come out like before clone wars like it might have done like a lot better everyone's like oh this is the first star wars show it's about like rebels that'd be like kind of cool and then you see clone wars like wow this even elevates it because clone wars came first i think it had a lot to live up to that being said though it did turn me around like after i kind of got past the first season and seeing like the deeper arcs that they were going with i think it had its good moments but like again compared to clone wars fell a little flat 
but like it's not trying to be Clone Wars, so I have to kind of cut it some yeah. slack in that sense. And I also just like that it was like kind of new characters, which I do want to talk about, that all had like no backstory going into it. So you have to kind of build up those characters and their backstories a bit and like kind of flesh them out. So they had that's kind of an interesting challenge that the Clone Wars didn't really have to do, besides like Ahsoka a little bit. So it kind of had to change how the overall structure had to be built. Yeah. But so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through and talk about now the individual characters and just thoughts on all of them and like if we'll think we'll see them in the future, etc. So starting out, we've got. The rebels, the like, just core team. Obviously, Ezra. What do you think of Ezra as a character? I I really did like Ezra's character. I mean, at first he was kind of the spoiled brat. Nobody, he's like, yeah, I can use the force and I can be the best. <laughs> but I think it's I think that's kind of like what you would expect to see because I mean, most of like Jedi training they start really young so that they kind of build up that discipline. And I mean, Ezra was already like, I mean. He wasn't, like, ridiculously old, but he was still, like, an older kid. And I don't think, like, yeah. it's kind of like an Anakin situation where, like, Anakin got accepted really late and then he had problems with his discipline. Ezra had problems with his discipline as well. That's a good comparison. But I think overall he did, like, develop into the character very well and kind of became well-rounded. And we did get to see kind of, like, in later seasons him battling, like, the dark side and like trying to figure all of that out while also trying to be a leader like for the rebellion yeah. and mm-hmm. kind of coming into that role i think it was also really cool balancing those two things and i think i just think it's kind of crazy like the amount of pressure that they put on like these kids essentially for these like yeah. huge commanding positions like yeah they have skills but i mean you saw more than once in rebels how ezra led missions terribly because he didn't stop to think of the bigger picture Right. Yeah. But they also like kind of have to do that and train the new generation because they're rebels. Like that's the point. The show is like building the early days of the rebellion. Like they had didn't have all the experience or like a ton of people that they could rely on. So they had to like thrust these kids into these super positions of like higher responsibility that maybe they weren't ready for. It's interesting yeah. seeing how they kind of deal with that. I also really like just Ezra's arc starting out, like you said, like as this annoying kid, but kind of growing into a responsible Jedi. I think a lot of the characters in this show do a really good job of like an overarching kind of like story arc and, and like story that progresses throughout all four seasons and seeing their characters grow. I think that's like testament to a good story because like if at the end of season four, Ezra's still like an annoying kid, I don't think anyone would be watching really. <laughs> Yeah. Daniel, do you have any thoughts on Ezra and then, like, kind of Kanan and their relationship? Well, their relationship I found to be, uh, it, was, it was nice to see how Kanan was able to humble Ezra in a way. And, like, through through time, like, Ezra, like, he always had that natural ability. And it was nice seeing how, how that duality also played out as well. Like, Kanan was always like, I don't know if I can even teach him. I don't know if, if I can yeah. teach him. And how there was that back and forth there. I think that was also a very important aspect That's a of good that point. I like how Kanan, like, doesn't seem like this surefire, like, I am the master, like I am 100% certain in my decisions. I feel like a lot of Jedi masters were always like, you must obey me, like I know everything that's right. And Kanan's very open about like, I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. And I really like that he was like willing to learn from Ezra and like his time teaching. I think that was really cool dynamic. And I definitely think that like in that perspective, like we kind of have a fuller picture now because we saw how Kanan like reacted to Order 66 with like his like smallest scene in the Bad Batch. Bad Batch, yeah. But, like, beforehand, we kind of didn't know, and, like, that gives us more context that Kanan never even was a Jedi Knight. I mean, he was essentially just yeah. a Padawan and never reached that status in the Order. Yeah, he was younger than Ezra, I think, when he, like, left the yep. Order, really. So all yeah. of his teaching, he's teaching this kid that's older than him when he learned everything he knew kind of thing. That's kind of got to be a weird mind 
thing like do it like kind of really a huge imposter syndrome like do i deserve to be teaching this kid really and i think that kind of like really came out especially like in their fights with the inquisitors and how like yeah while Kanan was somewhat able to hold his own he got his butt kicked more than once yeah, yeah. and then like yeah. seeing ahsoka who had more training just kind of come in and like kick like butt town like go 2v1 yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then like also i just loved Kanan like getting blinded like i mean i didn't love he got blinded but like just that the idea of like one of your main characters just losing their sight for like half the series is kind of crazy and just seeing how when, he would deal with that when you what? said that that reminded me of the meme it was like i i help blind kids and it's just like somebody pour, pouring like bleach in the kid's eyes what was, like the cyanide happiness <laughs> what? joke what memes are you <laughs> <looking> <laughs> Daniel, this is a kid show. <laughs> I don't know why. I just made me think of that. Again. I'm in delirious mode right now. Oh. Dang. Uh, well, before we jump back, to, I, I forgot to mention Matt. You got a Star Wars shirt. I appreciate you repping the the Star oh, Wars yeah, I today. This. I mean, it's a school little space shirt until oh, you don't know what else comes. Oh, oh that's look no at moon. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a. I tried to do Rebels colors. Like I made my light orange, and I'm wearing like an orange ish yellow shirt and like yeah rebels are orange i don't know that was I ha- my i have the white from ahsoka yeah, you, know? you, you always go. have that <laughs> must be home at night <laughs> see he's just been that prepared he's been yeah, preparing for this episode deep. for weeks <laughs> exactly i, I, I foresaw <laughs> it till last know? night <laughs> or this morning vision. i just knew dang um yeah what do you guys think of then the rest of the like rebels cast like Hera, we've got sabine and zeb chopper i do think that it was kind of nice that we got to see a bunch of different like it was kind of like the ragtag crew um all different backgrounds we also we got a little bit more with like of Hera's backstory through kind of like the last season of clone wars yeah i mean even before like that edition in the last season we didn't kind of know all that much about any of these characters i think the first season we didn't but i think they kind of expanded upon it like we got some episodes with like sabine yeah. and mandalore and then zeb yeah. like leading the lasats to like his home world and so like it touched a little bit upon it and, like kind of what i was talking about earlier like them fleshing out their backstories but again like yeah we didn't know too much and i think that kind of worked and i think that kind of worked also just with like the whole theme of the show like you started out with like these kind of quote-unquote rebels that nobody had even heard of before and kind of like when the show takes place, like there was no rebel alliance. This was kind of just a yeah. bunch of people who didn't like the Empire who are kind of just fighting. And as you kind of see both the characters and kind of like the formation of the rebel alliance, you kind of see like all of these additional details being built on until eventually you have these well-rounded characters. You have more of like a well-rounded establishment of how the rebel alliance kind of got started. Yeah. So I thought that that was kind of cool thinking about it and how they really like match their characters with their overall point of the story yeah. I, I completely agree I, I really like just sabine's kind of character and the the more she gets fleshed out with mandalore and like the dark saver and just like her family history is really cool um and just also her and ezra's relationship i think it could they could have easily been like a romantic thing but they kind of just became like mutual respected yeah like, I, I soldiers say, I almost. Like that was a great choice to make because yeah. it, it could have easily fallen into like that love trope like oh you're Mandalorian. I'm a Jedi. We kind of uh, <laughs> it's Romeo and <laughs> But but no, like like they had a mutual respect for each other, and they were always. I mean, especially in the last season, I felt like they were doing a lot the more last missions together. Oh. And then, yeah, like that. And then that led to the last episode where they like they knew, like she they knew. And, yeah, so it, it was nice to see how they had that respect for each other and and knew what each other was capable of. It's like the episode six nods of like 
Luke looking at R2 <laughs> on the barge and like everyone's like nodding at each other. Have you seen that Family Guy uh, spoof? Yeah, yeah. Where they yeah. like, they're just like nodding for like five it's minutes. Like, it's just like the so The tone keeps on happening with that. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> also hair and mommy. Right. just want to say that off what? the bat. Come on. No, oh, nobody oh, else? Oh. Like she has a kid? Both. Oh my gosh. I'm just saying as a joke. Daniel's down bad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I thought it was also cool. I know we talked about this in an earlier TTTT, but like um, Zeb, his design is based on Ralph McQuarrie's early concept art for Chewbacca. And they just like kind of added purple tiger stripes. But like in his original drawing, he looked very much like a Lassat before he, they changed it to like look like the, the Wookiee. I liked learning that he was like, like a Lasat warrior, and he kind of like... He's like one of the leaders of, of like the warriors, yeah. And, and yeah, and he kind of blamed himself for like what he thought was like the extinction of his people, but then like learning that they're okay and kind of becoming like a leader to lead them to the new world. And also just him in Callus's arc, I think oh, is dude. really well done. Yeah. I love that. But before we get there, I just want to say Chopper, I think it's really cool. Dave Filoni actually voiced him, did like the, the noises for him himself. Oh. So, oh, wow. I think that's Doesn't cool. Did he get like the yeah. highest death count or like murder count? Yeah, counts? Chopper... Chopper, Chopper straight up before yeah. the Rebel Alliance. Chopper is just a terrorist. Like what? Over like forty three thousand <laughs> kills of sabotage. Are you kidding me? Wow. <laughs> I saw some meme where it's like comparing like kills of like different people, and I think he has like more kills than Captain Rex or something like that. Through oh my sabotage. gosh, Jesus! I I did see that. Um, Dave Filoni described a Chopper as the opposite of R two D two. Like R two, Dave Filoni said is loyal like a dog, and Chopper's like selfish and like a pain in the butt like a cat. And I guess cats kill millions of people, so they're here first, folks. <laughs> I feel like that there's been a lot of times where, because he's just known for blowing stuff up too, like other bases and stuff. Dave Filoni, so I wonder yeah. If that, if that estimation crazy. is like low, like how many people really in those bases? Yeah, maybe maybe the heinous like war crimes that were like too gruesome to put on this Disney XD show, like <laughs> Dave Filoni just has in like some vault in the back of his head somewhere, and he really knows like choppers of menace. Like the exact number. <laughs> Yeah. It's like the uncut version. It's just forty minutes of Chopper blowing things up. Yeah, the director's cut of uh, of Rebels is just the entire series regularly, but like an extra three hours of Chopper just going ballistic, like blowing up the third Death Star. Did you ever hear the third Death Star? No, that's right. Chopper took it down. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but yeah, so I want to talk about Cal's really quick. But also, I thought it was, I remember in Rogue One, you can actually see Chopper and the Ghost in like the background of a few shots. Um, mm -hmm. so that's kind of cool but agent callus what do you guys think of his character i like when i rewatched it because like i mean eventually you know spoilers just in case you didn't <laughs> know or haven't seen rebels even though it's been a long time like how callus was fulcrum and i was like trying to look for hints of that like earlier on in the seasons and stuff like that and it's really not there like they yeah. don't really give you like they gave like some slight like smiles and stuff like that but it's never anything of like you can kind of see callus like trying to help the rebels in some way until they're kind of rescuing zeb well i think yeah yep. yeah i think once that i think that's the turning point like once callus and zeb are like stranded together on, on that planet, planet yeah I, I think up until that point ahsoka was fulcrum and i think i don't think callus was like, even thinking about deserting but once he realized and he saw that like zeb was rescued by his friends and like they cared about him they like hugged him when they got him back and then i think there's like interesting juxtaposition i actually just watched a video about this but like when callus is brought back like he 
is like nobody she's like cares. literally limps on the ship and is like yeah. hey like agent whatever to the, another guy and the and the guy like doesn't even look at him and he's like looking at a report he's mm-hmm. like you have to file these by like noon or something like that and so like he kind of realizes like these people don't care about him and he's also seeing i think through what zeb was saying that like the empire are not doing good and i think that was what was kind of blinding him to just accept all this mistreatment and now he's kind of like why am i doing this and i think that at that point is when he starts to become fulcrum yeah but, but yeah they didn't like lead into it too much but which also kind of led to a nice reveal honestly mm-hmm. it's also kind of similar to like zeb and Callus's relationship kind of like frenemies is kind of similar to like kanan and rex's relationship which i thought was really interesting yeah, in a way. and also yeah. understandably very tense because like we saw in mm-hmm. bad batch like kanan kanan's master was like obliterated like in front of yeah them. last time we saw clones they were just straight up murdering how was his master's name bilba bilbo baggins oh. yep yeah, yeah. <laughs> she threw the ring in the volcano and everything yeah <laughs> <laughs> the most ambitious crossover in cinematic history <laughs> i'm thinking i was thinking actually and um callus's arc like kind of starting out as an enemy and then being brought around to become a like on the good side, the yeah. rebellion side. It's kind of like Zuko's arc, which is interesting because Dante Bosco, the voice actor for Zuko, actually voices uh, Jai, Jai Kel in, yeah. in the show. He's like one of the uh, Imperial trainees that Ezra like frees when he like infiltrates the training facility. I thought it was kind of interesting. Wow, I didn't know that. That's that's really cool. Yeah. And Ryder was also the same voice actor. I'm forgetting his name, but it wasn't also the same guy that did Mr. Krabs? Uh, I believe so, yes. There were so many times where he'd say something, he's like, we got to get out of here. I'm just like, we got to get out of here. I got to get my money. <laughs> yeah, Clancy Brown. Money, money, money. <laughs> yeah, he's on the wrong team if he's wants the money. I'm leaving the rebels for the money, money, money. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then what, what do you guys think of just the, the villains for the first like few seasons being like the Inquisitors and like the Grand Inquisitors? I think, was this like the first time we really saw them in media or like mainstream media at least i think so i, think I don't think that they was, were yeah. previously mentioned what, what do you think of the inquisitors just as ideas i kind of i kind of like it but like it kind of goes against like the whole rule of two and especially like palpatine yeah. and everything like that and but and that's kind of like yeah sorry i was just gonna say like what we were saying earlier like kanan like could barely hold his own against them if you just chuck darth vader at him like rebels would be half a season. <laughs> would, oh yeah, yeah. Be, yeah. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> I mean, it seems like for Palpatine at least, like he was grooming Anakin to be Vader and everything. And Palpatine definitely like had fear about like Vader taking over and things like that. So it there it kind of did seem a little weird to me that like he would kind of allow all of these Inquisitors being like trained and it's kind of like like similar to, like Sith acolytes back in like the old Republic ish kind of thing. So that kind of like threw me through a loop. But I mean, at the same time, I do like it because you get, I mean, you get to see more people in lightsaber duels. Yeah, with their skinny lightsabers. Again, like you said, if you threw Darth Vader in there, Rebels would be half a season. What what are, can you explain a little bit? I don't know too much about the history of like the Sith Acolytes. And I know we have that show coming up, but like what, can you just give like a brief, whatever you know about Sith Acolytes? I don't know a ton myself. But back in the old days of the old Republic, and again, none of this is canon, so like True. we don't know what how much they're going to take Disney is yeah. going to bring in, or if they're going to change anything like that. In the days of the old Sith Empire and things like that, you had a bunch more 
Sith warriors, they used a whole bunch of different methods. Like they relied on like more Sith artifacts and holocrons and things like that, which is you don't really see Vader and Palpatine doing that all that much. There was kind of the competition, which eventually led to the rule of two. With but, Bane starting that? Okay. Yeah. I do know a lot about Bane. Yeah. Like I I love that story. So I so I guess the Sith Acolytes were like before Bane's time then, like which is Yeah. So I think the idea with Bane was like the rule of two is that there are, are like a bunch of like Sith like acolytes and Sith warriors and ten weak Sith acolytes and just like Sith members of society, whatever, would like overthrow one super powerful master and because of, it was just sheer, overpower them with sheer numbers. And because of that, it was weakening the ranks of the Sith mm-hmm. generation by generation because if you just keep overthrowing one guy by throwing ten weaker guys at them, you never like strengthen yourself. So Bane destroyed all of the Sith basically and set up the rule of two so that it was one master, one apprentice, he was like the master, and then he would train one apprentice, and once they were trained, after like years and years, like their lifetime, once they thought they were strong, that they would challenge their master to a duel, and like they would fight, and if the master was slain, then that new Sith was stronger and would become the master and find a new apprentice kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, this does seem like it's kind of going back on that and like runs the risk of weakening their ranks if like all of the inquisitors and vader would like go to overthrow uh, palpatine Palpy. yeah, yeah. And, I, and i think that you also like you see it in the battles because i was just watching like the first time when the inquisitors fight ahsoka and it was kind of like the two-on-one and then ahsoka just at one point just deactivates both their lightsabers and grabs the inquisitor's lightsaber and just turns it off like that's yeah. not supposed to happen <laughs> and so that kind of just like shows how weak that these inquisitors like they have like some skill and they like are force sensitive and they've kind of been taught more lightsaber combat but i think most of their like lightsaber combat and their whole design is more to like strike intimidate fear. Yeah. yeah exactly and it's not like they don't really have the skill to back it up versus like someone like darth vader who has both right all bark no bite kind of thing exactly um, <laughs> yeah i mean i'm really interested to see because we have seen the grand inquisitor in the trailers for kenobi a lot of people are upset about the design of that like i think jason isaacs we talked about this before when the trailer came out but like jason isaacs was the voice of the grand inquisitor in rebels the guy that played lucius malfoy in harry potter that's like a really intimidating dude uh but they got <laughs> rupert friend uh that's the actor that's playing him i don't know what else he's been in but i think he's like more of a younger guy might have more of a stunt background maybe so maybe they're preparing for like more stunt heavy stuff maybe mm-hmm. i don't know uh we'll see yeah, what do you think is going to happen with the Inquisitors, Matt, and Kenobi? Like, what, what they're going to do with them? And that was kind of, like, one of my questions that I'm, like, thinking about. I'm not sure, because I don't know, like, timeline-wise, where Kenobi is compared to where Rebels is. Like, I don't know right. that I think timeline. Kenobi's actually a few years... It's, like, Kenobi's 10 years before Episode 4, and I think Rebels is, like, five years before Episode 4-ish. Maybe. Okay. Which is weird because like Luke's like a kid. Like I think they messed that up. But Leia's like an adult almost, like in this show. So I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. So wait, I'm sorry. I gotta make sure. So Kenobi came first before before Rebels. Rebels. Because if you think yeah, to okay. like Maul and Kenobi fighting, like yeah, he's very true. almost Alec Guinness looking kind of thing. Well, even just the fact that we have the Grand Inquisitor. I mean, yeah, and the Grand, Grand Inquisitor dies in Rebels. Yeah, so yeah, it has true. to be before. Um, I, unless he like didn't die or came back. Plot <laughs> <laughs> twist. You never saw him die. You saw him fall down into an explosion. And apparently Palpatine can survive yeah. that. So true. So the weaker Grand Inquisitor could also maybe do <laughs> Maybe Palpatine just caught him. Or like maybe Inquisitor did it first. And Palpatine was like, yo, how'd you do that in case I need to do that? 
for some reason <laughs> later. Oh, that'd be hilarious. I just imagine like Palpatine was just like hiding on the at the bottom I of the pit. You. <laughs> With like a stunt mat. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like in the cartoons where like they're like moving it around like frantically and then like they're like, yes, I got it. And then he just like falls right next to it. <laughs> Palpatine just like note to self, move mat two inches to left. Get bigger mat. <laughs> it's like it's like a t- fairly odd parents like Crocker could never get his like mat and his Crocker came like in the right spot. <laughs> um all right, Matt, I want to now talk about what I think is your favorite character, Thrawn. I know you've got some love for Thrawn. I love Thrawn. I yeah. think Thrawn Thrawn was probably the best addition to the show. I think with like Maul being a close second and giving like more of his background story. I mean Thrawn became a very powerful and beloved character very early on because he's just like one of the characters that you can like you can hate but you can kind of like respect him (laughs) it's it's kind of like maul and how his character is designed because i mean a lot of like before in the earlier seasons of rebels like especially with a lot of the combat it's kind of more the very basic and easy stormtrooper shoot doesn't hit anything ever like the stormtroopers (laughs) the rebels can kind of just obliterate all of the stormtroopers you never like see any rebels go down or anything like that yeah but then when it comes to like thrawn he's got more strategy and so it kind of like yeah justifies that the empire is like this formidable force like they have all of these like tools and like people <laughs> and so it's not like they're just these complete like you know idiots running around yeah. with rifles because then you have to like question well why did they stop clone trooper production when all of their stormtroopers like suck this bad they can't stop a few pockets of rebels and things like that yeah thrawn was uh originally in legends like in books and comics and yep, stuff right comics. Yeah. yeah okay and they brought him in I, I did see an interview actually recently with Dave Filoni. I was doing research for this, and he said that every time like he looks for characters that he wants to bring over from like Legends into live action, like him and like now John Favreau, like they look for characters that they think would be interesting, but they also like first and foremost make sure that it services like the story and the purpose. And mm-hmm. for example, like Thrawn, they thought would be a really great addition in like the strategy. They were thinking about it, like, yes, this makes sense, like kind of upping the level of strategy that the Empire has, like you said. But there's often times where they like think of like a character that they want to bring in to like live action or like some new media or even animation from Legends. And then they kind of go down the rabbit hole and they're like, well, if we change this about the character, then it would fit more. But then they kind of stop themselves. They're like, no, like we have to respect, even though it is Legends, like we have to respect to a point like that a lot of the hardcore fans know this character as like, like for example, like Thrawn, like as a super strategist and like everything, like even good at combat and things 10 steps ahead if they had for the story they were looking for a character that like wasn't that they wouldn't bring thrawn over and try to like force him into that mold force him into that, that role for yeah they would just create a new character so i think that's a really interesting and cool way of looking at it that respects the old generation and the new fans kind of thing yeah yeah and i don't know like i'm not as familiar with thrawn's backstory like i know a little bit like i've seen some youtube videos and heard like other people talking about oh, it then you're an but... expert according to the internet then <laughs> so <watching> the YouTube <laughs> according to me at least but so kind of like at least thrawn's backstory and i don't know if this has all been incorporated i'm not 100 percent sure that this is 100 percent right but thrawn was like his species was originally they were under a threat of like some other galactic 
power that was kind of like attacking his home world. Like this power was incredibly strong. Like Thrawn's people are very intelligent and capable like warriors, but they were kind of like losing the fight. And so Thrawn's whole reason for like his justification for joining the empire wasn't that like he believed in the empire and like what they were doing, but he saw the empire as like the only force capable of taking out this other force that was threatening his homework. Oh, wow. So I wouldn't say like entirely shows in rebels, but yeah, it kind of, you do kind of see Thrawn with some more things being somewhat more blase fair. And like, sometimes like allowing the rebels to escape and whatnot. Cause like, to him, he doesn't like firmly believe in the Empire's mission. At least I think it could be argued that way. I think he more enjoys the game. Yeah. And so you don't yeah. really like see him and his like, I don't want to say like arrogance because he's able to back up a lot of what he says, mm-hmm. but like his pride and that kind of like fades away at the end when Ezra has him and just outwits him. Yeah. And it, you kind he's of like, like see oh, for crap. the first time <laughs> that it was just like, oh no, maybe maybe I chose the wrong side kind of thing. Yeah. Dana, what did you think about Thrawn? I, I liked how he was blue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that no, no but seriously. Cool. Um, yeah, you don't see a lot uh, of good representation <laughs> by the Empire. You, it's a lot of humans and like not really aliens in there. You know, where, where's freaking the elephant man species in the rebel, in the Empire ranks? Like, come on. <laughs> where's E.T.? yeah yeah real. honestly we need like we're like we know it's canon in star wars they're on the senate so like come on we, we need that they're like the janitors that'd be unfortunate <laughs> jeez they could probably fit around places though more often that'd be maybe maybe they're the like lighting people because they can do the maybe that's what you know like how in, in the imperial starships <laughs> they have like all like the lights on the side it's just a bunch of ets <laughs> holding their fingers like behind <laughs> the wind like they just peel back it's like it looks like the geonosians like on the walls but it's ets just like lighting up all like with their finger like <laughs> wiggling their fingers around i mean that would save so much money in their energy bill this just yeah but you have to like feed a bunch of you have to feed all these creatures though that are do you like, know think okay. about the mill with the reese's pieces because that's what ETs eat. Like, think about all the Reese's pieces they'd have to provide. They just dump them in the, like, ventilation shaft. And just, <laughs> just, it's like Plinko. Like, it's just Reese's. And, like, the, the ETs on the top are, like, the more supreme, like, higher-ranking ETs. And they get the, all the first dips on the Reese's. But then the bottom Actually, ETs have to eat the scraps. No. Headcanon here. Sugar gas. Hear me out. Hear what? me out. You know how when Star Destroyers always get, like, like they take one hit, like, huge portions, like, blow up? You know, oh my gosh, like, yeah. The, and tons of like gas shoots out. So imagine if you fill up the whole like spaces in between the walls with like the sugar gas. It's like flammable. It's edible for the ETs, right? So that you're able to just like. So every time a Star Destroyer blows up, know. it's just ETs all exploding. That's what the explosion is coming <laughs> exactly. from. Exactly. not actually like. Oh my gosh, it's that's kind of here. ETs are tragic. highly combustible. Yeah. Which was a <laughs> strategic flaw in the Star Destroyer design. Yeah, that's what that's what when uh, the ventilation <laughs> shaft that Luke shoots the thing down, it, it wasn't to like the like the main core. It was to like the hub of it was like to the ET break room, and they just all blew up. It was like a chain reaction. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, <laughs> we just we just made Luke like he, he's beat Chopper now and, and kill Cap. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Thrawn. I I, I, I mean, Matt covered thing. a lot of the good points there. With like, I'm pretty sure actually, I, I remember from some of the comics where he was. He was more of like a savage, not like savage, but like he 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 was more brutal from like the 
fighting he had to do to survive with what was going on with his planet, seeing what kind of power the Empire had. It was interesting to see like how, how especially in season four, how he was talking about power and how he, and he drive. respected it. And, he stays and, hungry. Like the ETs in the war. <laughs> 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 it's hard to top that. I think, <laughs> you, know, you, you know what I mean, though? Like, like I, he, he had a... He's a lord and fell into the trap of following power. It's that a was trap. What led to his downfall? <laughs> I think. I think it was really interesting. I saw that the Thrawn's theme, the like organ music, was actually Dave Filoni's suggestion. So Dave Filoni he actually grew up in Mount Lebanon, PA, and his dad was like an opera and classical music fan and dave filoni kind of inherited and grew up with that appreciation and according to rebel the rebels film composer kevin kiner he said that the organ and thrones theme was dave filoni's idea and i think it does really well i thought you were gonna say talking about organ he grew up in oregon so no. <laughs> <laughs> no he grew up like pretty close to where we grew up so i think that's kind of cool that's Very what inspiring. That's what thinking about I think it's also just crazy, like, how Dave Filoni has risen, like, through the ranks. And, like, yeah, yes. I mean, he kind of started out with, like, the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars movie. I have actually have some history on that. And I want to talk about how he got that job. So Dave Filoni's story about how he got involved with Star Wars is extremely interesting. How so? He almost never worked on Star Wars and almost was out on the opportunity. What? Yeah. Imagine so- a world without Dave Filoni and Star Wars. I know, I can't. Uh, but so he started out in animation. Like he grew up in PA, moved out to LA, started working in animation, worked on a bunch of shows, and eventually found himself working on Avatar The Last Airbender. And he actually directed a few episodes in season one, including like the very first pilot episode. But he talked about Star Wars all the time, like when he was over there at Nickelodeon. And like his fellow like Nickelodeon employees kind of made fun of him and would tease him for it. Until one day he got a call out of the blue from... Um, a Lucasfilm employee that like was trying to set up an interview with him to work on the new Clone Wars movie and, and like the show they were going to develop. And at first he le- legitimately thought it was like a prank that the SpongeBob animation crew were like call- prank calling him from down the hall and were like giving setting up like a fake interview. And so he almost like he was actually kind of rude at first. He was like, yeah, OK, like an interview with Lucasfilm, whatever. Meanwhile, he's speaking to like the secretary at Lucasfilm. And she's like, what? And then eventually he kind of figure it out like through that conversation that like she was legit and then he almost went too far in the other direction he started panicking was trying to like oversell himself he was like oh yeah no i'm a huge star wars fan. like i'm the guy I, and he he said apparently i saw an interview he said that like i have a plo coon costume in my garage and then the secretary was kind of like almost freaked out and almost then canceled the interview because she was worried he was just like this super like mega freak fan, or something like super freak yeah. Yeah. yeah um but like luckily it all worked out. He interviewed, got the job, worked on Clone Wars, Rebels, now Mandalorian, Ahsoka, etc. So I'm really glad that he responded to that call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my biggest flex is is that I have actually met Dave Filoni in person. Yeah. Dave, I don't know if nice. I told you about this. But like before, so like I was living in Tampa, like at the time. And so it, one of the things at Disney World before Disney became like, the huge Star Wars world and everything like that. Like it used to be just this small little area in one of the parks. And there was like the Star Tours ride, which they've now completely revamped. And then there was also like the training academy where like you as a little kid got to like get in a robe and like fight Darth Vader, which was really (laughs) cool. But they would have these like Star Wars weekends. And so they would have people come and celebrities that you can like walk up and like see and like kind of like get autographs and pictures and everything. We actually almost didn't see him. We were in line to go see, um, I don't remember his name, but it was the actor who played Anakin in episode one. 
So Jake like, Lloyd. yes, we were, yeah. we were originally <laughs> in line to see him and his line was like incredibly long. And I just remember some guy in one of the lines was like, just started advertising for Dave Filoni. He's like, this guy's going to be huge one day. Like, <laughs> trust me. And so we're like, like my parents are like, you guys want to go like see him? And so we're like, yeah, just, why not? And so like, we, we saw him and like got pictures, got like his autograph. And I'm, I'm so mad because Dave Filoni drew like a Captain Rex picture and then signed it for me. And then I lost the notepad in one of our many moves. No, I, like, no, I am heartbroken to this day <laughs> about losing it. That's such a cool story though, dude. Yeah, dude, Dave Filoni. And it's crazy. He almost like, just even after what I was saying with, he thought fate didn't want him to have the interview. He said it in another interview I saw. Cause even after he responded to that call and like, and like was preparing for the interview, he had to like fly up from LA to San Francisco where Lucasfilm headquarters is at. And the plane was like an hour late. The car that picked him up from the airport, like they were driving and something just fell and smashed through the sunroof. And so he was like, man, fate is like telling me I'm not going to get this job. And then he went to the interview, met George Lucas, and then was offered the job like on the spot. So, um, but also, <laughs> do you remember that Plo Koon costume I mentioned that he had? Apparently, you use that for the interview? He, like, no, no, through, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. So Dave Filoni like had a Plo Koon costume before he even got a job at Star Wars. And once he found out he got a job working at Lucasfilm, he realized he had to move from LA to San Francisco and he was trying to like kind of downsize and consolidate a lot of his stuff. So what he did, he actually dressed up in his Plo Koon costume right before his move. And he um, went with one of his buddies and brought like all of, like he had like a hundred Star Wars action figures and he realized he probably wouldn't need them if he was going to be working at Lucasfilm. So he dressed up in his Plo Koon costume, went to one of the premieres, I think of episode three, and handed out in his Plo Koon costume all of his action figures for free to little kids that were waiting in line at the premiere. So that was just a really wholesome, Aww. awesome thing That's of him. Awesome. That's so sweet. Yeah. At first I thought you were going to say like he was put on the Plo Koon costume to save space while he was moving. So instead of like having to store it somewhere, he just was like wearing <laughs> he just it. wore it on the plane. That's, that's what I thought. Like imagine just like walking through customs and like like the TSA and you just see like cloak who like a cloak who guy with like a lightsaber and like the security guard just being like, what is going on here? Yeah. Uh, I just, it's so cool. Just Dave Filoni, man, like as a creative force, he gets star Wars and he gets storytelling. Um, oh I think yeah. That is just super exciting. And with the future of star Wars, like him and John and John Favreau, like are like such a creative force and kind of force, but uh, he, <laughs> He it's interesting. I saw an interview and he actually when he prepares to like for a new Star Wars project, he doesn't watch any Star Wars media. He watches like a lot of old media that like George Lucas used for inspiration, like a lot of the old like World War II fighter jet things that like George Lucas mm-hmm. based his um or fighter planes things that George Lucas based his like aerial battles on and older movies like I even watched like American Graffiti which was like George Lucas's film before um Star Wars because he said that he wants to get out of the headspace of Star Wars. Like, if they just keep watching old Star Wars stuff, they're just going to get complacent and, and, like, not innovate at all. So to get newer, fresh ideas, he has to look outside of Star Wars. So I think that's just a really cool, unique way to look at it. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to open up your perspective. Because that's the thing, too. I feel like also, it's, like, kind of like a... You know when you try to do like a master copy of something if you're like drawing or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you just keep copying, copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. It's yeah, like if by you keep the on end. doing that, you're gonna lose all the original connections. So I think mm-hmm. I feel like it's a good. It's like telephone to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine if that actually happened with Star Wars with like each like 
piece of content though like <laughs> episode seven <clears throat> like there's like little errors that come on coming up <laughs> what are you gonna say matt and kind of like going into like talking a little bit more about the kenobi series is like i'm kind of glad that like dave filoni and john favreau like we have like these new people who are like in charge of it because i think i think the kenobi series needs to be very carefully done in order to yeah. Cause it's, cause it's at this really like, what do you I've, mean? I've been telling Jake this for a while that like, I think the Kenobi and I bet it is, I bet the Kenobi series would make an excellent book because then that would like, you get a lot of like his internal monologue and kind of his you discussions with himself yeah. and everything. Yeah. And maybe they'll give him like a droid or something so that he can do that. Or like, he'll, maybe he'll talk to Qui-Gon and that's how he'll do his thoughts i don't know but yeah sorry you were going you were saying because you can't have obi-wan doing a bunch of obi-wan things like with his lightsaber and everything because that's how you easily get spotted and that's how darth vader comes for you and that's how you don't protect luke so yeah also in this show obi-wan like man obi-wan's gonna have something that like gives him severe post-traumatic stress disorder or something that like turns all of his hair white yeah, because like, he looks very Ewan McGregor in this, very like yeah. young and fresh, and in five years is like basically <laughs> out of <laughs> Like he steps on like a like a really bad Lego or something, and then all of his hair just turns white. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe he'll get force lightning or something like uh, Palpatine, just like for like a second, and then he'll like just shift oh. or something. I don't know. I would kind of hate that explanation, but like maybe honestly, yeah, <laughs> maybe it just you know because he's on Tatooine for so long. Like, it takes a while, and then, like, the UV rays. Yeah, all of a sudden, it just hits. Like, he wakes up one morning, he's like, ah, dang. Yeah. <laughs> My hair is white now. <laughs> Obi-Wan tries to disguise himself by bleaching his hair blonde. Yeah. And then it just doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe it's just, <laughs> like, try to touch of gray and put too many touches in or something. <laughs> too much touch of gray. It's all gray. It's no longer just a touch. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, speaking of, like, Maul, I'm going to talk about Maul and Ahsoka and then just that Obi-Wan versus Maul fight we do see in Rebels. I know we touched upon Maul. And just that battle, like, between Maul and Obi-Wan, I think people complained that it was too short, but I've seen so many interviews, like, with Sam Witwer, who voices Maul, and Dave Filoni, and just the thought process behind that battle is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how much you guys know about that, but, like, or yeah. even our audience, but, like, so, but you have to think both these characters have been like building this and thinking about this for like a long time. Like Obi-Wan has been thinking about this because obviously it was like a significant moment in his life, the death of his master with Maul. And then Maul obviously came back in Clone Wars. And then, and then Maul has been like made his life mission and, and like he got a second chance on life and he's still consumed by his hatred of Obi-Wan. Even with this second chance of life, he's using that to attack Kenobi. And Kenobi honestly feels bad for him that that's like his second chance his of life choice. has been consumed by yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But there's just every like story beat in that battle is so well thought out like if when obi-wan and maul face off maul's like very anxious ready to attack obi-wan does not want to attack like he's left that in his past like in the clone wars he's very much more almost like alec guinness like wise and maybe we'll see some of that bridge happening in kenobi which would be really interesting to see how that happens but kenobi is trying to like just talk things out and just discuss with maul and he he doesn't ignite his lightsaber until maul senses that obi-wan's protecting luke and obi-wan's like well now i can't I can't let him get to Luke. Like, this is my mission. I have to protect him. So he first mm-hmm. goes into the stance. This is going to be a super meticulous breakdown. I'm, apologies. This is, like, boring at all. But, like, so he first goes into his classic Obi-Wan uh, stance. The two-finger two fingers forward, yeah. forwards. His young um, Ewan McGregor his stance. General Kenobi. Yes. And then yeah. uh, I saw Sam Witwer in this amazing interview. Everyone should check out with the Rule of Two podcast. But um, he then, like, kind of quickly realizes Sam Witwer said that, like, oh, like, this was my old childish way. And he kind of falls into his more... Alec Guinness 
prepared stance. And then he shifts into Qui-Gon's old stance. And, yep. and, um, because he's been thinking about like how Qui-Gon was defeated and stuff. And I think Malk picks up on this and he's like, I will just mm-hmm. do the same thing that I did to Qui-Gon, like the hit and then stab immediately. But this was kind of Obi-Wan's trick. He was kind of wanted this to happen because he knows how to counter this. So that's why it's so quick because Obi-Wan was like, 10 steps ahead kind of predicting Maul attacks Obi-Wan just completely counters and slices and in that moment I saw Sam what we're thinking about talk about the thought process that he was thinking when he was voicing Maul but Maul realizes like oh this is not the Obi-Wan I knew this is a man with a purpose like he's not this withered old man he is a warrior and he if, he's like on duty he's like the best of the best he's, still yeah. And if, yeah he's on duty if he's here this much like power defending um this kid he must be the chosen one that's why he asks like is he the chosen one and obi-wan's like yes and then maul goes then we'll be avenged and you can see obi-wan's kind of still disappointed because even in maul's like last moments he's still thinking about revenge and vengeance against palpatine and that's sad for obi-wan to see so just that whole mini scene is in freaking credible in my mind what do you guys oh, think about it? <laughs> oh, I love that scene. And again, like I, I've seen so many videos and even like with Maul and kind of like his, like when he activates his lightsaber, you kind of like see his progression through episode one to this scene where like yeah. in episode one, yeah. he ignites the blade one at a time. And then like in the Clone Wars, he gets he gets closer to the sync, And then yeah. here in this final fight, like he has that mastered. So like he yeah. kind of like improving in his like, physical lightsaber capabilities but yeah. like he hasn't adapted his mindset because yeah while this wasn't at the time you kind of see it more like in this last season of the clone wars where in this kind of in his battle with ahsoka he's still trying to like regain everything that he's lost since he like essentially since obi-wan took his chance of like being yeah. part of the emperor's plan and essentially for maul to become the next palpatine kind of thing and so yeah. he's like just his consumption with that and like doing things the exact same way he thinks he knows he's right and he has like that arrogance and everything and then obi-wan like you said just outsmarting him. i think that's a yeah. great point what you bring up and i think that's what makes maul a good villain is because his driving force throughout all the media we see him in is that he wants to get revenge for what was taken from him in episode one like every time we see maul like pop up in a new piece of media i always get worried that like they're gonna mess him up somehow because he's such a beloved character but i think because every time we see him except maybe like kind of solo uh he like his mission is to like get revenge on palpatine and like obi-wan for what was taken from him because every decision is stemming from that like internal compass i think he still remains an excellent amazing character oh yeah definitely it's crazy the thing about like we have a lot of characters who are just driven and also just blinded, literally and metaphorically, throughout their <laughs> beliefs and what they actually stand for, you know? Yeah. But out of everybody in the series, I mean, Maul, I feel like, has was honestly the most blind by his rage and his... Um, and that's ironic, because he's the one that blinded Kanan. Blinds Kanan. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ironic. So, I, I, just, I just, I think that's kind of poetic there in that... that sense yeah i feel like canon would not appreciate the poetry being happening but... <laughs> I, I think katie would have still preferred to have a lightsaber not cut him in the face yeah um i, I was just trying to give a way to segue speaking of lightsaber you know who has two ahsoka what do you guys think of ahsoka <laughs> <laughs> perfect segue yeah. flawless I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to be happening now in the series? the series yeah just yeah. Yeah. they start filming 
Yeah. I'm also I'm also curious thinking back now to like the other theories that are happening about like because of the world between worlds thing and like yeah the time or not, travel it's like a new timeline. Um, yeah, I don't know about the sequels that. actually happened or not. You know, <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see. I feel like there's like there is now like a secret plot that's like building up secret to like tunnel. something is changing and there's more opportunities for like what the Star Wars universe can be, especially with how we're seeing stuff with like Grogu and how things might be. With going with the cloning program, so you with think like Mando? episode six in Mando, that universe could be a different timeline than the sequels, or they they could like retcon that. It honestly could be. I mean, after watching this, that but do you want that to happen? Do you think? Like, do you think you want them to be like ah, sequels are like different universe? The main universe is like Mando, or like would you want that? Are you for that, Daniel? Well, technically, the main universe would be the sequels, and then this would be an alternate Ooh. timeline that we'd be following, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? There's nothing. I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. It'd just be almost like what we are getting into with Marvel, where we're going to be getting more characters and more possibilities with how things are going. Yeah. Right. Remember, Matt, so, I don't see multiverse. Don't spoil anything. <laughs> Matt, what what do you think about just Ahsoka and the time travel element? I think the time travel element was just the hardest part of that show to wrap my head around because it yeah. was like it just in all of Star Wars, you never had anybody like try like you have people going across space and everything ridiculously fast but like they never tried to touch time and i think that every like cinematic piece that tries to mess with that manipulation of time you have to be very careful because now so many people have done it Mm -hmm. and you need to like find some way to kind of make it unique but also make it make sense and also not make it like readily available so it's too overpowered they can just like read undo anything which I think yeah. they, they did okay here, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It was something that was very different in, in how it was portrayed. It would have been interesting to see like what repercussions could happen if they did, say, bring Ahsoka back to the current moment in time or if somehow like, Palpatine was able to like do some kind of change here or there. Do some damage, um, yeah. But I, I think it was done well in the, them limiting like the actual effects of what happened. Because now we're, we're still questioning, like, hey, is it a different timeline or is it... Or is everything normal? You know, the fact that we mm-hmm. have to like question that shows it was, it was done in a unique way. That yeah, it was presented, but it wasn't tampered with that much. Yeah, I wanted to dive into that story, B. But just I want to quickly say for Ahsoka, I think it's really cool. We're talking about Dave Filoni. I think she just represents his whole timeline at Lucasfilm because that was like his character he brought into Clone Wars, and now she's been in Rebels, and he's brought her. He's now bringing her live action. Just that whole kind of like seeing like his story as like his career at Lucasfilm also coincide with Ahsoka's story is just really cool. I thought, and the fact that she went from such a hated character to one of the most beloved characters. Like, yes, that yeah. that is just great story writing. Yeah, I I think it's also interesting. I have another little tidbit here. Did you know in George Lucas's original script for Star Wars, the Jedi were going to be called the Jedi Bendu, and then Lucas eventually simplified it to just Jedi. Interesting. Which is interesting because that concept was brought back in Rebels with the Bendu creature. So he's a creature that has like a strong connection to the Force, like one of the original Force users, the original name. Mm-hmm was the Jedi Bendu. So I think that's cool they reused that concept. I actually, like, I feel very proud. Like, I feel like I made this connection on my own. I usually, like, find it online. But, like, I was reading... Remember that coffee table book we had, Matt? The, um... Yeah. Uh, like, making up Star Wars. I saw that, like, the Jedi were originally called in George Lucas's original script, the Jedi Bendu. And then having watching this, like, that creature was the Bendu. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> that's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so I think that's just really cool. Uh, so many Easter eggs. Yeah, no, that's very sweet when they're able to bring back... Stuff yeah. like that, you know? 
Yeah. We also had just other characters. Wedge Antilles was voiced by Nathan Cress, who was Freddy and iCarly. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. Wow. And then also Josh Gad plays a character in Star Wars Rebels. In season three, he's the nerdy Imperial commander that like took over Chopper for like that one episode and like infiltrated. Wait, really? Yeah. What the heck? Yeah, Olaf, man. <laughs> Gotta watch what he does in summer, I guess. <laughs> what do you guys think of Kanan's sacrifice? I don't want to say it was sudden, but what? Because there was some build to I feel it. Like that episode, you could tell it was coming, but like before that, yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't really built mm-hmm. to too much. Maybe like exactly. there's a little bit of hints, but like that episode, I was like, oh, Kanan's dying. Like I didn't even, I had like I'd never seen it before, but I could tell like this is. I knew I think that Kanan was going to die at some point, but I was like, it's this episode. Like when he like starts yeah. like confessing his love to Hera and like cut his hair, I was like, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> he's toast. <laughs> it was really worthwhile the way that it happened. I mean, they, they made it work well with the story. That's 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 a great yeah. thing that worked out with that. With him not only being able to save the team, having a sacrifice mean something, but also being able to then also uh, accomplish the mission that they were trying to get done. And Zeb finding out later broke my heart, honestly. Yeah, no, yeah. that was like, oh man, seeing him so happy because like he was excited to see his team back home, like safe, secure, and then the realization of like just the devastation of like seeing Sabine like throw her helmet, and then yeah, everyone just being so distant. Matt, oh, what did you man. think of Kane in it, and just like kind of the finale, I guess, of this whole show? I think that Kanan was done pretty well, so that like when you got to that scene, like it did make you feel something that he died like he kind of did kind of become more of like the jedi master not through like the the jedi's like normal and typical way but like he he did kind of find that inner peace and inner balance within the force like you see it a lot throughout the show but you also see a lot throughout the show more of his impulsiveness and his uncertainty but then especially when he loses his sight to maul just kind of he gains that metaphorical sight and like deeper understanding. And I think that's kind of what led him to realize that like, okay, this is kind of like what I have to do. And then putting himself and his like love of Hera and the team and everything to the side in order to like protect them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really good point. Just like, again, I think great storytelling, like when you can apply things in stories, like real life, like I think just in life, I've been talking a lot about this with my mom, but like things often don't go as you plan, but that's just like life. And then like having to adapt to that. And obviously it's like a huge scale with like sacrificing yourself and like, and also just being blinded. Like things happen in life that are very unfortunate, but that might not be according to your plan, but then like learning to adapt and live with that and like kind of take that and make it like a good thing, honestly, as much as you can. Uh, very cool themes going on, you know, Star Wars, all that stuff, stories. All right. So just overall, I'm going to talk about some things that you did like and then things you didn't like just about this show overall as a whole kind of like wrapping up because we've been talking for a bit about it so Matt, mm-hmm. starting out things you just overall really liked about the show i did kind of like seeing how the rebellion was kind of built and i did like seeing their setbacks and things like that because i know in a lot of yeah like that's star wars true. you like you want the good guys to win all of the time and things like that but, in a movie, you almost have to just have them keep going forward. They don't have time to show. But in, like in a show, you can show like it's not all like sunshine and rainbows. Sunshine and yeah, victory. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's kind of like really pivotal. And that's like one of the reasons why I love Rogue One. Like I like seeing, and I know this sounds like, you know, against everybody else, but I like <laughs> seeing the Rebels lose because then it validates the Empire being this huge force and it kind of like further Uh it further validates that 
when the the empire was able to be defeated that this was a major accomplishment because right. they had so much strength and like the rebels were able it. to do it although it took a lot and i think yeah. that was something yeah. that rogue one did well and i think that's something that kind of held the sequels back a little bit is because you had this giant colossal military dictatorship taken down only for a new one to essentially rise up in relatively quick timing like that just to me yeah. didn't seem to make sense and like how they gained all that power but anyway that's that's a whole different tangent. that's a good point something that i i think i disagree with a little bit about the show is ezra's lightsaber color change and Oh. I know that's like a really small detail, but no, it's fair. Like, Whatever you, you don't like, like that's why we're here to talk. <laughs> but how so? Like I'm curious to see your your logic. It goes on from this. Blue it goes to from green? blue to green. Okay, yeah. And so like you have like the there's significance to the lightsaber colors, right? Yes, okay, yeah, that, yeah. That, and that's kind of what I'm going for. Like the blue lightsabers are kind of more of I, I don't want to say like the war the warriors because i mean all of them are supposed to be warriors but they're supposed they're supposed to be more of like actively using the force and things like that and relying more on the physical combat and things like that because that's that was a huge yeah. reason for like anakin having the blue lightsaber i think he's a great example and what does green represent again the stronger connection to the force they rely more on peace and they'll, they'll try to negotiate first that's why we saw qui-gon qui-gon wanted to be more peaceful try to come to negotiations and they don't they don't lead with their lightsaber as compared to blue lightsaber wielders who will be like hey I i'm down for negotiations with my lightsaber you yeah, know what i'm saying I, I, yeah. I, I think i'm gonna play devil's advocate now and i would argue, yeah go for it I, I i do agree with you just overall but i think you could argue that and this is something i actually wanted to bring up but i forgot about ezra i think is a very strong connection with creatures and animals and i think he true. relies yep. on that and i think and that's built across the whole series like with those floating like gas creatures that eventually come back mm -hmm. around the end and like and and like using animals and i think i think that connection is very strong and might be a little like way that maybe like he uses the force more and like he's more powerful and, and willing to do that and connect with people with the force that way versus blasting but i agree with you when it comes push comes to shove he does like run in a lot of the time but like i think you could argue like this connection with animals and creatures may warrant a little bit of leeway but but yeah no and no i th i think that that's a, that's a great point that's something that i kind of forgot about because that would be kind of more of like the like the jedi counselors are typically more of like the green lightsaber users uh -huh. and, I, and i guess i understand like story-wise in the show when the change needed to be made when ezra's lightsaber was destroyed but i i think kind of more towards like the end of season four i think that's when you get you could like have more of the justification and especially in his like final duel with Ron about I don't want to say self-sacrifice because it's not confirmed that they're dead and the fact that there are rumors of Thrawn coming back there may yeah. be rumors of Ezra coming back right. and that's that was in when we were originally watching the Mandalorian like at the end of I think the first season I thought that a potential was Ezra coming back not potentially yeah. Luke gotcha yeah okay Interesting. So, Dana, what about you? Things you like, one or two things you liked, one or two things you didn't like. Overall, I li like for the story elements, right? I like the overall timing of how things were being like arced across the series. With that said, it's also kind of one of the things I didn't like for when it came to a lot of the earlier episodes, where it's like, okay, we're going to this planet, we got this mission, we're doing this. Next episode, okay, we're going to this planet, so, we're like, doing the this, we're doing you didn't this. Really like that structure yeah i feel like it got repetitive at times and i was just like okay they're doing these other missions but it's not really like building to anything that was one thing i also didn't really 
Mm-hmm. That's on my list, yeah. But I think it gets better like later. In yeah, seasons. it does get better. So I'm saying, like, like when things did come out to the arcs and the major points are happening, like how things started to build up. That that's when things really started to come around, and how I, you know, just naturally had more attention and more was more attentive to, to those changes. Also, just the rendering and animation in general. Seeing the, I mean, that's, I mean, you guys know it's my thing. So like, just seeing the growth of it over the series. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it starts out. It was amazing rough, to see just like. like yeah, the lighting and, and and just how they had like extra particle effects. I'm thinking about like the the mining crawler at the end, uh, uh, like season four, and they're like, yeah, finally getting like the atmospheric feel of the entire inside of that. You know, that's something you can really get in season one, to where it's like it was more like ambient light, so it was more just like general lighting all around. I mean, it was important, so you're able to see your characters and stuff like that, but. It got more dramatic and more tense later on, which is supported the also the darker, more serious themes that but uh, developed as the series went on. Yeah, it's just yeah. My quick thoughts, just things I did like. I liked when they started fleshing out the characters. Like in season two, we kind of got backstories, and, and like in later seasons with like like I said, like Zeb's episode and mm-hmm. like his history and all that stuff. So I I liked learning more about that. And again, once it started like kind of picking up, I didn't like the skinny lightsabers. I, but I understand why they did it. Like I, um, I was reading, and I think they were trying to base it more on uh, Ralph McQuarrie's original concept art, which is more like a point, pointed, like kind of like rapier sword, like that people yeah. like fence with almost. Mm-hmm. So I think that is really cool, just that the reasoning behind it. But I just love the look of the Clone Wars. I got so used to it. Again, comparing the two, that like it's tough to yeah. go from like those, yeah. all those flashy duels to like the not so flashy duels. But I understand it made sense for the story. Yeah, overall. I think I would definitely recommend this series. I'm sad I didn't watch it like earlier, but I'm glad I watched it now and I'm excited for it. It's definitely worth a watch after you get past like the first season. Uh, definitely picks up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Any other final thoughts you guys had about Rebels? One final thing that I did like, and I, and I forgot to say, yeah. I'm glad that it's not on a desert planet. Oh, my yes. gosh. Yes. Yes. Like, yes. It's, it's a completely new you. atmosphere and everything like that. Because I mean, okay, if you think about it, you have Anakin, Luke, and Rey, who are essentially the three main protagonists. They came from three desert planets. Like, and two of them were the point, same desert planet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> at some point, Palpatine's got to realize, hey, maybe like desert planets have a threat of having like these really strong, yeah. powerful people. Maybe he just goes uh, around in the Death Star and just blows up every exactly. desert planet. Maybe that's, what the, third, there. that's what the third there. desert planet was, or third Death Star was for, just blowing up desert planets, but Chopper took it out before they could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I recommend oh, it man. too. It, it's a very good series. I also second the motion. I wish I saw it sooner in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was really yeah. cool. Again, I always love what, how with Star Wars being able to, when there's different shows, different aspects, being able to see more into that universe just in general. Yeah, um, the world of Star Wars is really awesome. And I love when we get to like see more of it in a good way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right. Um, well, I think that concludes our little main segment here. Let's jump into the next segment. Boosh! Out of the main segment. Thank you again, Matt, for joining us. Seriously, really appreciate it. It was great having you on. Star Wars expert over there. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to ask if you wanted to promote anything. I will ask him outside of this. And if he does want anything promoted, you should check it out in the description below. If it's not down there, check out some other links because we have some cool stuff. All right. So ready for Totally Tube Trivia Tidbits? Yeah, hit me with them. So, did you know that Nickelodeon didn't tell the creators of The Legend of Korra how long the show would be? 
No, what? So this is kind of like the reason why Legend of Korra wasn't really as good as Avatar The Last Airbender, in my opinion. So Nickelodeon originally told the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender that their new show, Legend of Korra, would only be one season with 12 episodes, kind of like a mini-series taking place with the next Avatar. So with that in yeah. mind, the writers of the show wrote a fully contained story for that one season with no intention of continuing after. So that's why like the villain dies, the protagonist gets her love interest, she fully connects with her Avatar st- spirit, her story is kind of like very complete at the end of that one season. But then after they like had already kind of written it, Nickelodeon renewed the show for a second season. So the writers had to kind of write themselves out of the corner they had backed themselves into and kind of create new villains and new stories. It was tough to get Cora out of that like perfect ending. So they created like a new villain for her and had to create like bigger and better challenges, which is why we got like spirit bending and stuff. And it kind of yeah. devolved, de- derailed from like what we'd normally seen after our last airbender. They didn't have that like overarching story that, after Last Airbender had, which kind of made it what it was. And since they didn't have like that plan from the beginning, it didn't do so well. And they had to keep coming up with like new uh, villains for every season. And uh, the production was just spread incredibly thin. The turnaround was crazy for their schedule. They were like working on ideas for season four while still producing and working on season two episodes. And this kind of yeah. destroyed the creators from being able to like effectively use that long form storytelling, which is why each season of Korra was so disconnected from one another so hopefully the new projects yeah. that they're doing will do better <laughs> or more connected and holistic yeah i mean it, like core was great it just didn't have the same pacing as the og yeah um and that's, you could tell that in the storytelling but it doesn't take away from from what happened with the show it's still a great show yeah definitely i i love it i'm actually we talk about this right after with matt uh, but like i am watching cora season th- I, I like watching the whole thing, but I'm on season three now, rewatching it because I actually watched that with uh, my roommates, like and Matt included, back like last year in college for the first time. We really liked, we really liked that show, like when it first came on Netflix. It was it's interesting. I was reading about the history of Korra when I was prepping for that TTTT, and apparently they did like the first season, two seasons released like on Nickelodeon, but then they did the last like mm-hmm. season and a half, I think, like was released just to the web. Yep. That's, I did not know that. That's, I thought that was really interesting. I, I knew that. I think it was something weird with Nickelodeon. And, and I th- I don't know if they like split off Nickelodeon or not. Or if it was some weird like funding thing going on. Yeah. Things that, that uh, cause a change there. I know that for sure. All right. I have another TTTT, but it's kind of like more broader. It's not like about a specific thing. And I think it's actually really interesting. And I don't know if you know this one. Okay. Why do filmmakers use blue lights to showcase it's nighttime during a scene? Why? There's actually a scientific reason that deals with how humans perceive light rays. Obviously, like in real life, the night often does not have lights like illuminating the environment, but cameras can't pick up enough detail if it's like completely pitch black and there's literally zero light present during a scene. So to solve this problem, early filmmakers looked at the color spectrum and on the spectrum, the color blue has the shortest wavelength and is the last color the human eye can visually comprehend before it like fades into what we perceive as black. So because blue is so close on the spectrum to black, we started lighting night scenes with blue lights. And because it was so close, people over hundreds of years of filmmaking, audience started perceiving and, and just like were trained to associate blue light with night scenes. So now yep. in most films, we think of night scenes and moonlight as blue. So I thought that was just really cool. That's very interesting, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's it's nice seeing a combination of science, yeah, and science art, and art, you know? kind of mixing. Yeah, I love that that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, that was that was it. Ready for patron shoutouts? Yeah, hit me with them. 
Cue the epic Star Wars music. Boosh, who got patron Lori, Frank, Rick, Lisa, Evan, Tony. Thank you so much for pledging the tier. Give you the shout out if you like to support us over on Patreon. Link is down in the description. You get the audio episode early before everyone else. You get a role in our Discord that we record in. Yep. And we chat with you about stuff. We, yeah, talk to you about like merch. We have next week, we actually have a big deal coming. It's our hundredth episode. Uh thank you to everyone mm-hmm. that's been with us. That is crazy. Like dude. through ninety nine episodes and even if you come along the way any at any part, this is your first time, welcome. Hello. Thank you. But yeah, super excited to uh be here for hundred episodes. Doing it with, with my with my best friend Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. That's not always sincere, you, but I meant that sincerely. Like seriously, I do but appreciate it. No, no, I know it. I know you. Because yeah. you're my best friend. So like I Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um But no dude seriously like as a comment before we even get into that like you have been putting a lot of work into this. I feel like this is important for people to know. Is like, like you do all the editing for this. You do all the social media. You you've been carrying this, and it's been growing like crazy. And honestly, you you should feel proud of the work that you've done and where things are at right now, and where they're going to. Man, it, it's really been amazing just being able to like you've made this environment for us to be able to just you know be able even across the country be able to talk to each other and just talk about the stuff we love. You know, so thank you. I want to thank you, man. Thank you. I, I seriously really appreciate that. And I, I am the one that I seriously think I should be thanking you because I feel I have to feel bad, like just dragging you into this like every <laughs> week but, and like making you do stuff. But I, I do think it's a fun way for us to like stay connected and um, hoping to like keep growing it so that people can feel like it's a place that they can celebrate storytelling and maybe like have like kind of a community where people can talk and about just like stories they're excited about. That's kind of like yeah. the goal. I've been looking into like maybe a Facebook group or something. I don't want to stretch myself too thin. I want to like grow it and be able to do stuff. But I don't know. I'm very excited for the future also. But thank you. That seriously does mean a lot to me. But yeah, are you ready for a review slash comment shout outs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we got? Um, so we have a new comment from uh, uh, Thomas Piet, Piete. Again, he commented last week and I didn't know how to pronounce his name. And I'm sorry if I'm butchering it again. But he commented again on our uh, Multiverse of Madness review from last week. He said, great show and that he loved the movie. So thank you. Appreciate th- I'm glad that you appreciated or liked the show. Yeah. That is everything I had. Are you ready for the outroduction? Yes. Tell me when. Who? When? <laughs> <laughs> I had to test it. I'm like, is he going to say it? Uh, <laughs> we just talked about what we want to talk about, and now we're done. Blah. I was just cosplaying as an owl, you know? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, thank you everyone seriously for being here for almost 100 episodes now super excited to see where it goes from here and no matter when you hop on this train we're glad you're here see you next time for episode 100 yeah. and kenobi come on see ya